from Future Founders HQ in the podcasting studio at 1871 in downtown Chicago, this is The Insider. Your fast pass for the latest news, tools, and debates for young entrepreneurs. Be sure to leave feedback about your experience with us today in our survey at the bottom of the e-pass. Thanks for listening. Uh, my name is Omid Shams. I am uh, headquartered here in Dallas, Texas. And uh, my startup's name is Quest. It's spelled K-W-E-S-T. So it is not uh, Kanye West or Key West. <laughs> hey West, it is Quest. Um, and so we are in kind of an interesting space. So we're kind of a blend of, of location-based uh, gaming and storytelling. So the easiest way I like to describe it in, as a quick pitch format is most people are familiar with Pokemon Go. Um, so we are more or less a, a Pokemon Go style platform, uh, but all focused on interactive narrative. So you download the app, you select a world that you want to immerse yourself in. These can be story worlds like Wonderland and Game of Thrones, and you're kind of launched out onto this citywide or location-based narrative adventure uh, where you're making choices, and of course everything is coming to life with augmented reality and through audio. Um, so yeah, so that that's kind of what we've evolved into our story is a little bit longer in terms of where we were before and kind of where we pivoted but maybe that's another conversation um right now in terms of where we are and how the team stands we're about 14 people uh we have i believe it's now 10 full-time and then the other four are part-time and we are located all over the globe so we have about me i'd say about half here in the u.s and the other half are kind of sprinkled around uh, different countries around the world and right uh I'll pause there and maybe Brandon let you uh, jump in. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, hey, uh, my name is Brandon Frisch. I'm based out of Chicago, Illinois, born and raised in the Chicagoland area, and I live in Chicago. Uh, I started a organization called Speakeasy. We have recently changed our name to EverPresent, so that's where you'll find us online, EverPresent, E-V-R-Present.com. And the idea came about because I had a lot of trouble with public speaking um, in university and college. I had, to, I had to do some presentations. Obviously, I went through the business school. We had to do a speech class as a freshman to graduate from college, and I just remember having a lot of trouble with speech anxiety. And I went online, and there wasn't that many solutions. Um, and so what we have developed is a – or how it's, how it's sort of unpacked um, over the course, it started as a public speaking tool for college students, and it's now uh, evolved in, into the uh, corporate training space. So we now target corporate trainers who have curriculum that they go and sell, like sales training or um, communication skills training or presentation skills training to large organizations. And we have a digital hub for these coaches and their, and their sort of coachees, the people they're working with, to interact online. And uh, the coolest part about the the platform is th is while you are using it, you can you record yourself giving rehearsals and presentations, and um, you get to choose an audience library to rehearse in front of. And there's been some psychological studies that show that it actually elicits the fear of public speaking. So that's where this idea came about. When I was in college, I. I I needed to practice and I recorded myself on my computer and it worked because I would play that video back, but I was just staring at myself the whole time. And then I would get shocked by the setting. And, uh, cause I'm, cause I'm in my dorm room or wherever I am just staring at my computer. And I remember, you know, it's cool rehearsing my speech, but when I go in front of a room of 
25 people staring at me, that's where that fight or flight response comes from. And you'll learn um, as you research speech anxiety, that's really what's happening is your body doesn't recognize enemy, friend or foe. When you get up in front of a group of people, they think it's just an, a room of a bunch of evil people trying to eat you. And that's our old reptilian brain acting there. So uh, my idea was, is how can I get, how can I bring that audience to your home? And so now you can practice from, from anywhere. Uh, and we have a, a library of different audience experiences. So uh, that's, that's what we're doing now. Um, been in the works for about four years. We have, there's three of us working on it. It was actually all part-time. Uh, there's three of us working on it. And one guy's in New York, one guy's in central Illinois. I'm in Chicago, like I said. Um, and then we have two contract developers, one in Texas and one in India. So there's actually uh, five. I lied. So that's me with Everpresent. And then on the side, um, I don't know if I was going to ask you, Amita, I didn't want to cut you off if you were full-time with Quest. But I uh, Everpresent doesn't pay the bills for me. I've always had to manage uh, a freelance side of my life and i do a lot of freelance web development which i have a whole team that i work with uh, we do software development web development um ui ux branding all the whole internet online suite we do it and that's just a, completely two separate teams and i've had to sort of juggle both of them because i lead in both situations so um it's been been an interesting experience Awesome. And first off, I, I love I love the, the concept of Everpresent. I see it I see it evolving, especially with you know obviously with the rise of, of VR. Um, Definitely. You know, uh, us being in the space that gets me excited. Uh, but very cool. Uh, and yeah, to answer your question, um, I you know Quest is full time for me, but it does not pay the bills. I I pay everyone on my team except for myself mm. because you know I'm still selfless like that. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's really just because we can't afford it. And uh, so I, uh, I, do, I do consulting part-time. Um, I also have two other ventures that I'm working on as well. And so I do have small teams for those, each one. One of them is about a team of four. The other one's a team of three. Uh, mostly mostly co-founder type positions, right? So not mm -hmm. a whole lot of management going on there. Um, but it was interesting where kind of my journey before Quest was, so my family is a software company in the healthcare space. Um, and uh, that was kind of my bread and butter growing up. So I, I was in health tech for a very long time, kind of typical Asian family story of, you know, we're going to groom you to take over the family business and kind of like crazy rich Asians, if you've seen that movie, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then the, the classic, like, I decide to go down my own path and piss off my family. Right. Um, but, but while I was there, I, I was managing about, so the company at the time, I think was about 250 to 300 employees. I was managing about half of them, so all the front-facing departments, so marketing, client services, product management, and it's really funny. We're like, you know, talking about teams specifically, and I'd come from that background of, okay, you know, I've managed large teams and I've been in these roles, so you know, how hard could it be to manage a team of three people or of four people or of ten people? Uh, and I can tell you, it is starchly different in in the startup world in early stage versus you know a, a mid-sized company. Um, sure. You know, if, yeah, I, know, I know it's not an apples, apples to apples comparison, but I would say that there are so many more complexities and intricacies in terms of uh, a growing and managing an early stage startup than, uh, than an established company. Well, it's also interesting about that is the type of person that would go work for an organization that has 200, 300 people versus the type of person that would actually go work for somebody who's got a five to 15 person team is a different class of person, right? Mm -hmm. So... Um, I actually don't, I, I'm also assuming here, but I, I can't imagine them both being the same person at all times and, and 
I could see you having experience working in you know a mid middle medium sized company and going to a micro sized company. The, the type of person you're working with is probably different on so many different you know levels. You're you're absolutely right, and you know that that kind of started. It took me a long time to realize that, right? So I when I first started Quest, and you know we had Quest 1.0, then we pivoted, and now we kind of have 2.0. We had two separate teams, so my old team was just kind of. It was organic, right? I think it's, it's how every startup starts. It's I'm going to get together with someone I know or with a buddy, and he's going to bring on a buddy. We have a small team of four or five people, and we mm-hmm. kind of strap this to market. So there wasn't really any hiring. So really, the, the first year and a half, when we were operating in the market, I didn't really have that experience. When we pivoted, um, and, I, and I really had to build a, a team for real, um, I started to, to realize that, okay, I really know nothing about hiring in this space. Um, and I think you nailed it. It's you start to realize when you, at that point, I knew what I was looking for. Cause I, I'd, I'd been kind of in the startup world for a little while, but I'd never truly tried to hire for it. Mm-hmm. So it was a rude awakening for me where at first I approached it kind of like how I would the traditional hiring process. Um, and I, and I quickly started to realize that I needed to completely change the way I did things because I am looking for different types of people. And so that kind of leads me to, maybe this could be a nice point to kick off. I'd love to understand how you hire. Um, and then I can maybe share with you like some, some of my best practices or maybe some of my, my framework that I put together for how, how and who I look for. Sure, sure. So I don't – so my team is smaller than yours, so I haven't had enough um, – I should say enough. I haven't had as much hiring experience as you, uh, but I have, I have had my fair share of making the wrong team – member decision <laughs> bringing somebody on incorrectly so the actual hiring and i've and i've learned a lot obviously like making two actually three almost fatal mistakes and they're all around they're all surrounding people and one was the a, a first developer we brought on the second was a um like a a another guy who was going to join the team as a, as a partner. And then the third was a software development company that came on, um, which is directly related to the first person. So I'll kind of go through the journey really as, as quickly as possible, but, um, and kind of how I learned from like each stage. So the first, the first one was I'm in school. I'm using speakeasy as it was called, uh, as a tool to, just like participate in the entrepreneurship community at college. And I was going to uh, participate in the startup pitch competition. And I wanted to get some sort of MVP going and some software developed. And I wasn't technical. Uh, The guy I was working with, his name's Christian. He wasn't super technical. Um, He's more technical than I was, but we needed a developer, right? So um, I went to the computer science school and the internship director there. And I set up an internship for a position at my startup and the, we met her we, I hired I brought on the first person that showed interest actually the first and only the second I got the email the guy said he was interested that's all I cared about and I brought him on and we talked about equity and all this stuff and that's a whole rabbit hole but that was my first lesson learned was I hired way too fast to that person I brought him on as a partner way too fast and it turned out to be honestly one of the worst partnership experiences I've ever had. Um, like definitely, definitely learned a lot about being dependent on, on technical people. And, uh, that spawned actually my entire like technical freelance 
side work because I had to learn how to communicate with Ryan. His name is Ryan um, on that level. And, and because it was so hard to, to work with him and, and he, he left, which was a huge, which I thought was, was going to be the end of it all. Um, and then we brought on a, a software development firm to, to, to pick up his slack. And uh, that was my second mistake was bringing on a firm. I, I, I actually repeated my first mistake was I brought them on very quickly again, but this time there was a lot of time pressure to, to get some work done for a, an upcoming client project we've been working on for about a year. And when Ryan left, there was about two months worth of work and he left two months before it was over. Um, and so we brought somebody on and that whole experience blew up. Um, and then the third, the third uh, one was I brought some guy on to help with some marketing communications. And this is a slightly different um, ex learning experience, which was, which was trying to, it's similar. It's not, it's it, the speed of which I brought somebody on. I did, I did bring him on. I vetted him a lot more. I had some people that I trusted, some mentors interview him and everything went well. Um, but this was actually a case of, I felt like lying and somebody sort of like taking advantage of me and not being like a hundred percent truthful person. So that one was one I didn't feel like I necessarily could have avoided. I felt like I kind of got conned or swindled into the relationship, if that makes sense. So that was kind of a fluke, but in summary, I think my biggest mistake move oh, like up until now with hiring and bringing people onto my teams and just like engaging with them work wise has been doing it too quickly and not spending enough time actually vetting that experience. And so one of the things I've done to kind of fix that is when I'm engaging in a potential partnership with somebody, I actually go into work with them in parallel as a contractor, either I'm a contractor to them or they're a contractor to me. And we work alongside each other for four, five, six months. And this is, this is when we're going to be testing out partnering and it actually applies even if you're not going to be partnering, but, but come on and actually see what it's going to be like to work alongside each other. And if you guys still are getting along and cooperating and collaborating, and strategizing and debating healthily, then it's then it's signs that this could be a successful partnership. I can I ha it took me three three hiring decisions to get to that point to realize that I have to do this slowly, especially if I'm going to be giving up equity in my company or like giving this person a very important stake in some responsibility or uh, or or uh, putting them in front of an important client. I need to be super, super cautious. And I've heard the saying, hire fast. What is it? Hire slow, fire fast. And I uh, um, definitely, definitely agree with that. And I, and, I, and I heard it and I didn't listen to it. And it holds true to this day. And I'll, you know, I hold that to the grave with me. I mean, I would never, I would definitely take your time is my kind of lesson learned. Don't bring anybody on too quickly, even if they, everything sounds good. I would, I would trial it. If that makes sense. So I, I kind of rambled there, Omid. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I, I, I love this kind of stuff. And I, I'm, I'm grinning you to ear right now in terms of I can relate to a lot of what you went through, um, you know, not just once, twice, but many times. And you're absolutely right. It's a learning experience. Um, I, you know, I, I agree with you that the, the higher slow, you know, to me is in it. You don't always have the luxury of doing it. Um, but I, you know, for me, it's a matter of like, I, I, you know, I guess one of two things. One is I have 
a number of steps in place to make sure that, okay, like I, you know, you're never going to be able to know 100% if someone's perfect. It's like getting in a relationship with someone, right? Mm-hmm. You can date them for five years and, you know, maybe there's still one side of them you haven't seen and you learn that once you get married. And so it's never going to be perfect. But I do think that, you know, just like in a relationship, the more time you can spend with them and the more side of them you can see and the more you can learn about them in terms of who they are, not necessarily what they're competent in, then I think you're setting yourself up for success. And so yeah, kind of my approach um, and it, it touches on a lot of the things that you mentioned, which is, is, is nice, is nice to hear. You know, the first one is, and I just mentioned this is, is I value competency, but it's not the end all be all. So, you know, interestingly enough, the very first check, the, the, the very first thing that I check off my list is, does this person have the competent skills? And if so, then that I literally put that on the back shelf and I stop worrying about it. So, you know, how I approach things for most positions, especially if they're creative in nature, they're technical in nature is I can create some sort of what I call a testing task, right? I can, okay, this is the role I'm hiring for. These are their objectives. How can I wrap this into something where I can hand them something and say, hey, I want you to spend maximum of two days, right? I'm not asking them for a lot of their time to, to actually put some time into this test, testing task and give me the output. Right. Okay, right off the bat, if someone is, is saying, oh, I'm not, gonna work, I'm not gonna work for free, they're not right for us. Right. So immediately that lets me know, like, I'm, I don't have room for anyone who's pretentious. I don't have room for anyone who, who overvalues themselves. At the end of the day, if you're not willing to put in one or two days worth of just work um, to show me that you're a right fit, then you're probably not the right fit. So great. You've passed this testing task. Awesome. That checks the competency off. From there, everything else in the hiring process for me is all focused on who they are as a person. Um, and so I've kind of put together this cheesy, like, four C's that I go through when I'm hiring. I actually learned this from a mentor. And so, you know, they go as follows. It's character, commitment, communication. And then the last one is competency slash capability. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think most of them are pretty self-explanatory, right? So, you know, I go through this process. It could be one call, multiple calls, but it's, you know, you know who is this person? Uh, do I like them, right? Are they, are they more of an asshole than I am? Like just overall gauge their, their character. Do, do I wanna work with them? Do I wanna make them part of my family? Um, commitment is extremely important, not only just actual raw time commitment, but what are they willing to give for this startup, right? And I think it's just, you can tell in terms of the way they talk about what they love to do and how excited they are to work with us, it's that passion, you know, oh, I have a full-time job, but I'm willing to put in all of my nights and weekends to this. So kind of gauging that commitment level to me is important because, you know, we all know there's so many ups and downs in the startup world, especially early stage. When things are good, things are good. When things are shit, you need people who are committed. Um, because things aren't always going to feel good. And then communication, I think, is self-explanatory. This is an important one for me because we're talking about hiring overseas. Uh, There's not always that cultural or communication um, wavelength. And then the last one is is competency and capability. And this is an interesting one where, okay, I've already measured their competency. Sure, they have the the necessarily baseline skill sets. But what I value more than anything else is capability. Meaning if I have two people on two ends – who are both interested in what we're doing. One of them is this super seasoned rock star. Um, I've, d- I've been in this space for 20 years. I'm extremely competent in what I do, but you know, I don't have the greatest character. I don't have the greatest commitment, or maybe I'm asking for a shit ton of money versus the young, fast and passionate who doesn't have the experience, but is incredibly capable. And I see that potential in them. I'm going to bring them on in my team. So I like in my trenches, in my team, I like the young, fast, passionate because that allows me to keep my burn low and bootstrap. 
And then I like to keep my like experienced veterans as my mentors and advisors. And that's just kind of a rule of thumb I go by. So you value the competency, like that's what you put the, is the number one? That's the C that is the most, you put the most weight on? No, I would say character is probably the one that I put the most weight on. Oh, okay. I, I think I misunderstood you. Because yeah. what I was going to say is, for me, it's interesting. I like that four C's. And mine's num- for sure, without doubt, is communication. Okay. I can't, especially because I, where I spend most of my time um, doing my software consulting work, I'm working with consultants. I am a consultant. And I'm do- working with clients. And we need to bring somebody on and build a team for somebody to build a product or a web application or a mobile app or whatever it is. And the consultant could be a wizard developer, but if they can't answer emails with, you know, the proper appropriate time, or if they can't attend meetings or if they, it's, it's really kind of comes down to communication and sort of a subset of it is self-management. Like, is this person capable of being a self-manager? Are they capable of showing up on time? Like, because we don't have a, hey, we're all online from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are on that because I, I, we don't do anything like that. It's just sort of a general kind of understanding, unwritten rule to, like, show up in the morning. doesn't have to be 6 a.m., but it shouldn't probably be 11 a.m. And work, you know, while everyone's online together. And if somebody... Um, it's tough. It's tough to, to vet communication. And, and I typically do it by, you know, just how quickly they respond to email during the interview process. Hey, we'd like to set up another email or sorry, set up another interview. And if they take two days to reply or if they're, you know, if they don't, I don't know, you just kind of got to feel it out with your gut. And if this person feels like their excuses are legitimate, then Maybe you give them another shot, but I mean, it's for us, it's their ability to communicate, their ability to talk. And after that, I value capability and competency because the thing is we've, we've had wizards that work with us and they've ruined projects because of their poor communication skills. But the best communicators, even though they might be slightly less capable, less competent, have usually uh, led to like success in a project because the client ends up being happy. The team works better because it's more than just the, the machine requires more than just one cog to be spinning smoothly and efficiently. And just cause, um, in, in the communication is the thing that can bring down a whole system and uh, where, where competency you can, so other people can kind of pick up where other people are lacking in terms of skills. Um, but communication has been just like that something that's really been hammered into me the last the last uh few months is just like if you can't communicate you don't belong as a consultant at least or even on my teams i need somebody who can over communicate and and really be there for everybody and and be there for the client and the and the people who are relying on us interesting and i I think they're all you know at the end of the day there's they're all so important Um, yes you're right i'm not trying to (laughs) knock down the other c's but (laughs) you know i like that i like that thought process and i think it comes down to like you know the and you know maybe this is a fifth c but it's culture right and it's um all these c's with with culture and 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 i think the culture you start ultimately uh cultivating it's you know it's it's what you're willing to maybe give a little slack on versus no slack on so like i know you know for us character to me is number one 
commitment would be number two. Communication, interestingly enough, as important as it is, I've made exceptions. So this is going to sound probably wacky to some folks, but I have a guy on the team who really struggles speaking English, like really struggles. His written is pretty strong, but on calls, he now he's gotten better. He's been with us for about a year now. He's come, I mean, leaps and bounds. When he first started, people would think I'm crazy that I brought this guy on, but his commitment was incredible. He was such great character. Mm-hmm. Um, he was incredibly not only competent in terms of what he knew, but he was extremely capable. I knew he could grow with us. And so, you know, of course, my justification was, okay, yeah, he, he, he's not strong in English. He does speak native Russian. I have three other Russians on the team who can communicate with him. Okay, uh, this can work. Right? It's, exactly. It's situational. Right. Um, so that's where I was able to give a little. Now, have we run into issues? Absolutely. I mean, it, we run into issues where, you know, because of communication, we – we like fuck something up or, and it costs us money, right? So like we have to, whatever, this is a $2,000 mistake we made because of poor communication. But, and I, I get upset for a second, but then I come back and I remind, remind myself, okay, like I'm investing in this individual. And, you know, again, this is something that can improve. It's not like it's set in stone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, it's, it is really interesting to kind of hear your perspective on it. And, and that I, I couldn't agree with you more that communication is so important your other point also on on this trial that you talked about so that's kind of my next my next gate in terms of i go through this hiring process i vet them okay great all four c's check out awesome but still i want to date this person before i marry them right and so you know i'm actually you're you're incredibly generous we're like you're willing to contract them or, or even them contract you and get into like a formal relationship i'm very much so like wild west like hey look we're gonna sign up what i call a fellowship agreement which is pretty much a fancy way of saying an internship and you're gonna work for free for 30 to 45 days with no no financial commitment <laughs> until, until we know this works. And I've done this with every single person on my team. And again, it's another stopgap. If someone's not willing to do it, yeah. they're not right for us. And it, it might sound extreme. Um, you but said 30 to 45? 30 to 45, yeah. And these are the things where like, nothing is ever set for me in stone. Everything is flexible because it all comes down to you know, at the end of the day, there are times where someone needs to sell me on, on why they want to work for Quest. But, you know, I'll be honest, like there are times where there's a rock star that I really want and I need to sell them on working for Quest. And so there, there are some things I'm willing to, to at least be flexible on. And this is one of them where, OK, you know, I this person is, you know, whatever, whether it's their situation or whether it's how badly we want them or how badly we need them to dive in. OK, maybe I'm willing to cut that down to 20 days or 25 days, whatever it may be. But yeah, I think a substantial amount of time just to, you know, you mentioned equity and, and adding people to cap tables, especially if you're talking about that, it's, you know, sure you have vesting schedules in place to protect you, but it's still a lot of legal to bring someone on and to remove them. Oh, and yeah. I, yeah. And so I just want to avoid, and, and that's how I articulate it, actually. I think this is all about how you present it. Like, you know, it's all about presentation and, and this comes full circle back to, that's why I love your platform so much. Um, it's all about speaking to people and understanding your audience and, okay, you know what? We're putting this fellowship in place not so I can get free work out of you. We're putting this in place to help us both, right? So let's say, Brandon, we were bringing you on, and it's okay, Brandon. Look, I really, really like you, right? I really like you. I think you're going to be a wonderful fit for our team. I hope you feel the same way. If you do, here's what I'm suggesting in terms of next steps, right? Okay, one, like, yes, we could sign all this paperwork and then find out in about 15, 20 days that it's not the right fit, and it becomes a headache for us both. Versus what I'm going to suggest and what I've done in the past is we go into a fellowship, we work together for 30 days, no hard commitment. If you don't feel this is the right fit or if we don't feel this is the right fit, we will be completely transparent with each other part ways, no harm, no foul. If 
at the end of the 30 days, we say, okay, you know what, this is going great. Let's move forward. We can retroactively start, you know, whether it's a vest date, right, for, for a vesting schedule or payment or whatever it may be, we can retroactively kick that in to where this time wasn't necessarily free or wasted, but we're still making sure that it was. So how do you, how do you, that's interesting. So like I come up the, I come from a mindset where I, I don't like when people work for me for free. Okay. I feel like they're putting in a lot of, you know, effort and they're putting themselves out there and I feel like people should be paid. Now, should they be paid their full rate? Sometimes I'll do half of what you do and I say, hey, your rate is X. Can we do half of X for 40 days just to like lower, you know, hedge, hedge me a little bit, you know, sure. lower my risk and because you never know what happens. Um, I've, I've done that before, but. Uh, what do you do if somebody guys like, I just had a kid, I got a mortgage, yeah. I can't not get paid for 40 days. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and so I should have been, should have been clear again, because this is flexible. So, so this approach is typically for me and, and, you know, I'm never going to ask someone to come work full time for 30 days with no pay. So typically for me, this is either a part timer or someone who's interested in coming uh, on. Gotcha. Yeah. Who's interested in coming on full time, but we're going to start on this part time basis. Yes. If, if anyone is working whatever, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week for us, I will pay them something. At the end of the day, we need to put food on the table for you. I can understand that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I guess we didn't have, I didn't, didn't give you enough time to fully uh, oh, no, unpack, no. unpack that. I think, I think it was great to clarify that for, because I don't want someone to listen to this and be like, oh, yeah, hell yeah, like I'm going to go scoop up 10 people and have right. them work time and not pay them. No, absolutely not. Um, you know, I do think that there's a line we draw in the sand and it's, you know, as, as early stage founders and as, you know, these, these bootstrappers, you know, we have to get down and dirty and we have to do things that are a little unorthodox right. um, and that may not be as sexy, but at the same time, yes, we need to be fair and we need to understand who's on the other end of the table. And, and I completely get that. Right. And you also got to understand that, like, you can't offer the world as a startup and you got to find somebody who is okay with that. You got to find that early adopter like person to come in and be like, listen, I'm buying into this, even though it's not super polished and we don't necessarily have benefits and all this stuff. Like, but I'm in it for this project and I'm in it for this culture and I'm in it, you know, for this team and this leader and whatever it is and this location or this software or this purpose, whatever it is, but you got to find somebody who's going to bite onto one of those things or a couple of them because, um, and it's not and, and, and those people don't exist everywhere. So it's, it's, it's also a numbers game, right? It's also, and that's, and that's something that's interesting, you know, more I think about it and actually kind of like it. And I don't know how I would use it for myself, but you're going to find very quickly no's when you, when you say that to somebody like, listen, we're going to do part time. It's going to be no pay. It's going to help us both. Whatever it is, we're going to set up this fellow. If somebody's like, no, well, maybe they're not right for this startup experience you maybe, it. and, and right there, that's a success. Yep. You can just go on to the next one. You're saving yourself time. You're actually saving that person time too. So you nailed it. It is, it is such a core principle for me of, you know, it's, it's a two way street on, on their end. You want to make sure that they're not valuing compensation is important. You need to live, but it should not be at the top of their list in terms of why they want to work for you because right. you need to, like you're, you're not in a position to be the highest paying or best paying gig for them. Um, but on our side, it's also extremely important to make sure that we're fully transparent. We articulate that. And we also do a really, really great job because especially as CEOs to sell the shit out of our vision. Like mm -hmm. when I'm, when I'm doing, I actually had a call recently with, with another future uh, founders alum 
and she's now going through growing her team and hiring process. And we talked about this and it's, I said, Hey, look, don't, I saw like kind of the outline and the questions she put together. I said, these are great and you need to know these things, but it's not what you ask. It's how you ask it. Don't set this up like a traditional interview. Don't make this feel like a traditional job because that's not what it is. And that's not what you want them to value and take away from it. So, you know, compensation should be the last, last thing in my opinion that you guys have to talk about and to be focused on the company's vision and on the team and, and, and all the other fun things in between. Uh, I, I like to actually use this analogy of, you know, you get to be kind of, especially for folks who like have a full-time gig and kind of want to put in nights and weekends. It's a really nice way of like, you're kind of like this intellectual mistress for them, right? Like their, their day job is their, their marriage. And right. then you <laughs> this exciting mistress for them on the side. And even if they're full-time, it's the same thing of, okay, I'm passing up this really um, boring, stable relationship, which is in this case, a full-time job for something that maybe isn't as stable, but it's fun and it's exciting. It's fun. Yeah. It's our job to kind of evoke that emotion in them. Sure. That's actually pretty interesting. I like that analogy. It's weird, but I like it. (laughs) And it makes sense. And it applies. Uh, took me a second, but no, that's actually, that's actually good. Um, one last thing I kind of wanted to, I wanted to throw in something that I just reminded myself of. Um, and then when some other people ask me about like, Hey, trying to interview for X, like you have any things I should look forward, uh, look for or ask. Um, a lot of the times people ask for my input when it's hiring remote, cause that's just like a lot of where my experience is. And one of the things I actually look for a lot is how many questions and how curious the person is. That's another C curiosity. Mm. I think when you're hiring, if the person isn't actively trying to completely understand their role and what they're going to be working on and your company and this project and the client you're serving, and they're not asking a lot of questions that they're just a yes man and they just want the job or they just want the task or they just want to, they just want to get paid or whatever it is. And that's something I look for sort of subconsciously. Is this, is, is somebody, is this person curious? Are they asking a lot of questions? If I just send them a link and say, hey, check out this video about our product, and they don't come back, hey, do you have any questions, Johnny? No, I'm good. That, that covered it all. It's like, really? You don't have any questions? Like, you're about to join our team. <laughs> you should have 15 questions about, like, what the heck this thing is and, and what our plans are for the future. And you should really be curious about the company under the hood, not just what, you know, a video I might have on the Internet that I send to prospective clients and anybody right so you should really be digging and you look for somebody who's digging too so i love that i love that and i think that goes back to again what they value right it's like when we when we go and we're, we're buying a five dollar usb phone charging cable we're probably not going to ask a whole lot of questions on the product right if, if we're buying a three hundred thousand dollar house we're going to be damn sure we, we make sure we understand everything about it and so it's like it's the same thing it's we're not you know the, the lower we can kind of make, you know, compensation should not be at top of mind. Um, and, and, and instead they should really just be focused on what matters. I love that though. Curiosity. That's a really interesting one. That's a really interesting one. Um, I don't know if we still have time. Um, if we do, I wanted to touch on one other thing and, and sure. it was, you know, we've, we've kind of talked a lot on the, the, okay, the hiring process. So everything that happens up until you've got this team. Um, but we haven't really talked a whole on, a lot on actually managing a team and a culture. And, and I'm curious to hear some of your high level thoughts on it. Like anything you found that is just 
you know, game-changing advice for any other entrepreneurs out there. Okay, you've got a team of, let's say, four or five people. Um, you know, how do you structure things and, and how do you lead um, and how do you make sure that you can continue, like, you know, this, this great culture that you've instilled during the hiring process, like selling them on this exciting vision. How do you continue to maintain that? Sure. So I'm, I'm a relationship guy. When I, when I did my, my, uh, what's it called? The, the Gallup thing, strengths finders, okay. uh, my top five strengths, four of them were all in the relationship bucket. Interesting. And that's, uh, it was really cool after I went through that experience because it actually was very self-reflective and I'm not sure if you, you had the similar experience going through it, but I, I re-realized that I make friends and I make, I, I build relationships very quickly. And in order for me to have a successful team, I have to, for, and for me to feel good about my team being a leader, I have to have really strong relationships with every single person I'm working with. And at first, when I was early on, a lot of that was me sort of sinking down almost on a psychological level to the same playing like level as that person. Like I'm not really, I might be CEO of this organization, but like we're on the same, we're on the same field. Like I'm not your boss. Yeah, I would say that a lot. I um, and I still sort of feel like that mentally um, today because I don't, with like a team of eight, six, five, like there's you know, there's no need for a boss. Like you guys are all on the same team. One guy, maybe he's his role is decision-making. You can call him the CEO, but you guys all, you need to have, I need to have a really good relationship with all these people. Um, and so caring a lot, I know this is not like, you know, check on people every, every hour and, and, and set up goals and, and all that. So that's not, I'm, I'm much more of a by feel type of person. And if somebody is, feels like they want to be autonomous and I'm going to allow that if somebody needs to be a little bit more micromanaged, it's not usually my favorite thing, but I'm going to set up frameworks so they can sort of be autonomous within their frame. Um, but again, it's all being guided by relationship building and caring. And if any of my relationships are stressed, I usually get very stressed, uh, because relationships matter so much to me. Um, and so like if, if, one of the people I'm working with is like having a tough day or like a client said something bad about them or whatever it is. I feel personally responsible for the health of my relationship with that person. And, um, I actually don't usually feel better unless that's been talked about or cleared up in any way. So kind of in summary, it's, I guide, I guide my leadership through the lens of strong relationships and relationship building. Yeah, you sound like you're. I mean, you sound like you're. You're naturally an empathetic leader, um, and and you have what seems to be you know very high emotional intelligence. Um, yeah, I lean on that. That's like that's like my secret weapon is EQ. And I, I, <laughs> you know, I absolutely love that. If you were talking to Omid like six months ago, I would have been like, oh, like, <laughs> oh, I'm I'm not joking. It, this this is honestly the the biggest 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 piece of advice I can give to any any entrepreneur now, and it's. It's funny because I know I'm not supposed to like, you know, uh, two future founders horn. Um, but here's like one shout out I do want to give is like, I learned that being, being an emotionally intelligent leader and human being is so, so, so important through the future founders. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we had, I don't know if you had this in your, in your fellowship. Um, but we had these sessions with Raman who's like an EQ coach yeah. and 
Yeah, and it's funny because you know you talk about how this stuff comes natural for you, and and you know when I take those those tests, it tells me the opposite, and that's the truth. <laughs> is I am cut and dry, rational, functional. That's how I was raised. Where like emotion is weakness, and relationships, mm-hmm. and feeling, and but it was cool hearing it from Ram, and he could like take it and put it in a framework for me that I could understand. Mm-hmm. And I and that's what I've changed the most, especially as my team has grown in this past like four four to six months is okay, okay, how can I be a more emotionally intelligent leader? Um, I loved what you mentioned about, okay, one person needs to have more autonomy, another person needs to be micromanaged. Raman said something that just really resonated with me one time. And he goes, Omid, how many people do you have on your team? I was like, okay, at the time, I was like, I have 12 people. He said, okay, what type of leader are you? And I explained it to him with like this like puffed up chest, like I was really proud of myself, right? Kind of like mm-hmm. what you were saying, I was like, yeah, like, you know, I don't call myself their boss because I'm not. And I'm like genuinely prou- proud of, of the leader I am. He said, okay, cool. And so everyone has to conform that type of leadership. And I said, yeah, like they have to learn and understand. And he goes, no, wrong. He says, you have 12 different people on your team. You need to be 12 different. 12 different leaders. Yes. Yeah. And it's exactly what you just said. And it, it resonates so well with me. And I took that back. I love and that. I, and I turned it, in, it into action. Um, and I started doing you know, and so, you know, I get, you said for you, you get to follow your feelings and I wish I could do that. And hopefully I'll get to that point one day. So for now, and for those out there who maybe don't have that luxury and like, you're a little more rational or you need framework. Like I do two things. One is on an individual basis. Every single month I do individual check-ins. They're not performance reviews. They have nothing to do with, um, quest and performance and metrics. They literally, it is a one-on-one chat with each person on my team. What is happening in life? Just like a check-in. Yeah, like a, like a personal check-in. That's it. A What's pers- up, Omid? How have you been? Exactly. And yeah. I learned I love so that. much about my people from that. And quite frankly, uh, inadvertently, so many great ideas and, and, and other things that have benefited Quest have come from that, not even trying to focus on that. Uh, the other thing I do is a practice I stole from Future Founders, and it's the feeling wheel. Um, so every month we have a monthly team meeting, everyone's there, we talk high level vision, but we start the whole meeting with the feelings wheel. And, you know, we're talking, and you can probably relate, we're talking when you have heavy teams of tech guys, they don't like to share their feelings. Nope. So I, I said this, it was me and like maybe two of my creatives or three of my creatives. Now, no lie, we've done this now for, this will be the fourth month in a row. Uh, we have one coming up. Every single person last time shared, all 14 people shared how they were feeling. And I cannot tell you how fucking impactful it was. Yeah. Um, it is incredible. Just the, it's so powerful. And, and so, yeah, I, this is like something I nerd, I nerd over now is, is EQ and, and just how, Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's incredible. I love, I love that story from Raman. Um, Raman's amazing. Yeah. Um, he, it's funny how, what's the word? Like how, uh, it can close, it can close your, like a thought loop. What the second you understand how somebody was feeling like the last chunk of time in their life, yeah. like if somebody's performing one way or the other way, and it's sort of you're trying to figure it out, or they're acting one way, they're behaving one way, they show blade to work, whatever it is, they seem upset. And then you learn later on, because we do the, the feeling wheel with one of my teams too. Once you learn that they're feeling frustrated because whatever, it's like, oh, like I get you now. Yep. Like my relationship just got so much stronger with that person and it's super powerful. It's it super builds, powerful. It builds trust. Right. And that's, that's another thing as well. It's just, there's, there's so much to it other than, you know, the actual 
we'll call it the, 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 the quantitative metrics, right? But it's more so just building trust. And we talk about building teams and building culture. And these people now are willing to die for you and your company in terms of, you know, metaphorically, right? So, like, I've literally had a situation where one of my guys, these were my tech guys, who, again, before was kind of disconnected, wasn't really an emotional guy. Over the course of time, I remember one month I was telling him uh, that I was going to increase his pay. And this is on a one-on-one check-in, right? I'm like, and I wanted to give him the good news. I was super pumped about it. You know, English is not a strong language for him. Mm-hmm. He misinterpreted, thought I wasn't going to pay him anything. <laughs> and so the conversation started going where he was like, you know, Amid, I completely understand. And he's like, I know we're in a tough spot. So you know what? If you don't pay me, that's okay. I'll continue to work as long as I need to. <laughs> right. And so That's powerful. So powerful. And it's just, if you can... You know, it's those things. If you can cultivate that type of, of environment and connection and trust, then, you know, right now, one of the biggest concerns we have as CEOs is like, oh, shit, what if my company dies tomorrow? What if we run out of money? Like, what is dying at the end of the day, right? As long as you have your team, you're still operating. Right. Um, you can still do. And so, like, I would and I would, I would hope I never, I never have to put my team in this position, but I know that if we got to a point where we had zero capital and we still had to burn for a few months, I think we would have our core team stick around right. and, and yeah, I think that that is, that is just unparalleled in terms of value. That's a really, really cool story. Yeah. Actually. And probably a good story to end this podcast on. <laughs> Cause I don't, I can't top that. That was beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it speaks a lot to like just how you are as a leader, you know, and kind of what you've, what you've done and kind of what you've learned. And I don't know at what point that person came along, but, you know, whatever, whatever you you've done to sort of cultivate that culture and make them feel like they own a part of quest, you know, and it's, it's, it's a part of them and they're responsible for it. And they, even if they're not going to get compensated for it, I mean, that speaks volumes. So good stuff on that. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure somebody's going to learn something from that. So, well, I, yeah. And, and likewise, I, I've, I've really, really enjoyed this. Um, I've actually, taking quite a few things away from this chat with you I, I love the the mention on curiosity i think that's something i want to start valuing more um I, I love the whole you know and again it sounds like you're kind of steps beyond me in terms of um you know leading with the heart so to speak and so i, I would definitely like to in the future kind of maybe get your thoughts on some things in that realm because it sounds sure. like I could, learn, I could learn a lot from you there so sure absolutely yeah i look forward to connecting in the future and i'll see you in june That sounds great. I appreciate it, Brandon. Yeah, take care. The Future Founders podcast is produced by the Future Founders team. As a reminder, be sure to leave feedback about your experience with us today in our survey at the bottom of the e-pass. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month.